Good morning. Our scripture reading comes from Luke 16, verses 14 through 18. Luke 16, 14 through 18. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Amen. For some time, we have been studying the book of Luke, and I have truly learned a lot myself in this go-around. One of the major themes in the book of Luke is the kingdom of God, and from time to time, we run upon this passage and we tend to think of the kingdom of God as out there somewhere. And even for us as believers, as we walk with the Lord on a daily basis, we usually don't give a lot of thought to the kingdom of God. But this passage today really opens up for me a new look at the kingdom of God. And as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem to be crucified for all mankind, he takes time to preach, to preach the kingdom of God. In another sense, Jesus is preaching that the kingdom of God has already arrived. And so we've entitled this message, The Kingdom of God is Here and Yet Coming. And as I was thinking about this passage, I asked the Lord, give me some way of illustrating, describing this idea because we don't talk a lot today about the kingdom of God. And as I was walking on the trail by our house, the Atlanta Beltway, I realized that the Beltway is built on the old train track. And then I thought as well of East Point. East Point is historically known as the place where the train would arrive in the Atlanta area from West Point. Alabama to East Point, uh, Georgia. And so as I was walking along at a fast pace, the thought came, this is the way you can do that. The train is led by an engine, sometimes several engines, and it will approach and everything would be quiet because of the, the loud horns and so on. But the engine would pass and you still cannot cross the track. Why? Because the train is still coming. The train has come, but the train is still coming, and you got to stay there. And in the rural where I grew up, sometimes that would be 30, 40 minutes, an hour, because the train was so long. And in a sense, I, I thought of this, I said, well, thank you, Lord, because in this sense, we who are believers, we know that Jesus came representing the kingdom of God. And yet, the train is still coming. The kingdom is still coming. And, and with that, uh, had I been at Southwest as an old man to sit right over here, he'd have jumped up out of the seat and said, Amen. <laughs> but you'll get it as we go. <laughs> so here in chapter 16 of the book of Luke, it's about two things. It's about possessions and it's about position. Possession 
and position. Now, you know, we are concerned in this society about our possessions. In this parable, uh, in this chapter, chapter 16, uh, the Lord began to speak to his people through parable. And there are two parables. first one in chapter 16 dealt with the unrighteous steward. It's about possession. And this unrighteous steward used his money, his unrighteous mammon, in a wise way to make friends for himself so that when he entered into the eternal life, he would have friends to welcome him there. Well, this whole idea of unrighteous mammon rubbed the Pharisees the wrong way. And to make matters worse, or as the saying go, to put salt on a wound, Jesus said also that the love of money would displace one's love for God, and one cannot serve God and mammon. Somebody say amen. amen. With that statement, we can see now just how our text why it opens up the way it does in verses 14 and 15. And it says, Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The parable of the unjust steward raised the feathers of the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus teach his disciples because they, like the unjust steward, were lovers of money. So the Pharisees laughed and made fun of Jesus because they didn't understand his teaching regarding money or unrighteous mammon. Jesus, on the other hand, had some shocking words for the Pharisees and for everyone who loves money. Say loves money. I want to know if you're with me. Loves money. Amen. Jesus says because you love money and because you live to impress men, these actions are abomination in the sight of God. I, I pray that this doesn't touch anybody here so we can say amen because we know people who love money. Amen. In fact, Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayers of the upright is his delight. The sacrifices of the wicked, they may impress men, but because they are not given from a heart that loves the Lord, they stink in his nostrils. That's what it means, abomination. They stink in his nostrils. You know, people who praise themselves because they give a lot of money. They give a lot of time to the work of the Lord. If it's not given from a heart that loves the Lord, it's the kind of thing the Lord said he would spew out of his mouth. We know people like that. Today we have no limits when it comes to getting money. And the same time we confess that we are followers of Christ, as my wife and I was walking in, I had her, her to help me. I said, look around and see if you see any tags that says blessed. And I look for the ones that say truly blessed. We didn't see any. We know people like that. So if they drive a Ford or a Chevrolet, they'll put on it blessed. 
Well, if you get a Cadillac or a Bent, truly blessed. <laughs> Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You have to choose between serving money and serving God. Amen? Someone has wisely said money is an excellent servant, but it's a terrible master. Jesus said to the Pharisees, God knows your heart. Or to put it another way, and they weren't sure about this, but Abraham Lincoln is attributed saying, either in the Republican Convention of 1856 or even the Lincoln-Douglas debate in 1858, these words. He says, you can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people all the time. But you cannot fool all the people all the time. How does that relate to our scripture? Jesus says, God knows your heart. So Jesus says to the Pharisees and to us, you can't fool God anytime. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. Jesus goes on in verses 16 and 17 to shock and challenge the Pharisees with another love, another great love they had, and that was their love for the law and the prophets. The Pharisees loved the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were until John, he says, since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Might I remind you that Jesus was in a fight with the Pharisees on one hand, but on the other hand, Jesus was giving the Pharisees an opportunity to once again come into the kingdom of God. I couldn't help but understand and see that there's a passion here, that though Jesus was in a fight with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he was also concerned, that's why he spent so much time outside of Jerusalem before going in, that they would finally accept him as the king of this coming kingdom. So Jesus here seemed to indicate that the law and the prophets ruled until John the Baptist came, announcing the kingdom of God. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, and his message was a message of repentance. Prepare, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John was charged with preparing the way of the Lord. We read this in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. But the angel said to him, speaking of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, he said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Then get verse 16 says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make greater people prepared for their Lord. So Jesus says the law and the prophet was until John. 
Once the Lord came, he set up his rule in the heart of his people who were willing to forsake their sin and follow him. Beginning with his disciples, he then reached out to the sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus preached the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So, so we get this in this verse, this time here. Jesus says the law and the prophet was until John. When John announced the coming of the kingdom and Jesus came and he preached the kingdom of God. And notice he preached it around Galilee because he was rejected in Judea, Jerusalem. So he went to Galilee and the people in Galilee, Galilee were people like us, common people. And, and they flocked to hear the kingdom of God was coming. Jesus preached and taught around Jerusalem a second time here now. And instead of going into Jerusalem, as I said, because I believe he was giving the Pharisees and the teachers of the law another chance to change their mind concerning who he was. He said, now that the law and the prophets have been replaced with the preaching of the kingdom of God, people have been pressing into it. Now that should get our attention. Because we don't know of people who are, trying, who are breaking their necks to get into the kingdom of God. But early in chapter 15, uh, there was a statement made that when Jesus, as he was at this Pharisee's house, he continued to teach that the tax collectors and the sinners, they drew close to him. In, in other words, they got in a circle, they got close to Jesus to hear what he had to say. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they stood afar off. And so Jesus is teaching now those who were willing to hear, but there's a Pharisee eardrops away listening. And so Jesus is teaching them about possession, about how to own their possessions and not allow their possessions to own them. The Pharisees who loved money was listening to this, and they were offended by that. He said, people are pressing into the kingdom of God. Apparently, this didn't refer to the majority of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but there were those who did hear and respond to Jesus' preaching. Those who didn't think that they had a special seat in the kingdom because of their relationship with Abraham, those who didn't think they had a special seat in the kingdom because of their notoriety or because of their religious appearance, they came close to Jesus to hear what he had to say. In this sense, they were making an effort. They were pressing into the kingdom. Some might think this means that they forced their way, but this is not the case. When we come to realize that the door of the kingdom of God is open to everyone, and especially those of us who don't deserve to be in the kingdom, then we put out much effort. We want to hear. We want to get closer to hear this good news. And so this is what he means, that they were pressing into the kingdom. The first requirement in order to get into the kingdom is to confess that you're a sinner, to repent of your sin. 
which means to turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. Amen? This is not as easy as one might think because there's an evil one who is not happy about losing any soul to the kingdom of God. He has planted his own false prophets in the world to deceive those who are seeking the truth. But the Apostle John reminds us in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you know, the spirit of God, every spirit, by this you know the spirit of God, that every spirit that, that confesses that Jesus is Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Our encouragement that though we want to get close to the Lord, though we want to grow in our sanctification, there are obstacles. But keep in mind that he who is in you is stronger than he that is in the world. Jesus says as well that even though the law and the prophets have been fulfilled since he came preaching the kingdom of God, the law has still not failed. Now we get to these last verses that really seem to be out of place. Jesus is talking about the law, he's talking about the prophets, he's talking about possessions, and now he talks about marriage and divorce. And it seemed to be out of place. Not the place to really get into a whole dialogue about marriage. Until we think about, in the greater context, who Jesus is talking to and who's listening on. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until, it all, until it's all fulfilled. Now, here in the Gospel of Luke, this one word, tittle, is used where it means small, uh, the smallest written or printed stroke or dot. Uh, we, we might think of a period in our language, as the smallest punctuation, but a tittle, just a little bit. But we also understand that the, the Bible dictionary defines a tittle as a minute point or stroke added to some letters of the Hebrew language to distinguish them from others that resembles that same uh, letter. So Jesus is making it clear that nothing in the law has failed but in him, all the law and the prophets of the Old Testament fulfilled in his death and his resurrection. I think it was Matthew's gospel, he uses the word a jot and tittle. And we're more familiar with that because from time to time we have to jot things down. And just a little abbreviated so we remember it. Most of the time I can't remember it. Put it down and still can't remember. Thank God for iPhones. But a tittle, just a little bit. And Jesus is saying here, yes, 
the preaching of the kingdom has replaced the law and the prophets in one sense. But not one iota, not one tittle of the law is failed or has failed. Now this is, this is strong because now he's talked to them in this passage and we'll continue. The next passage deals with uh, the rich man and Lazarus. He's dealing with them about possession. But now he says to those who love money that the law that you love so much, the prophets that you love so much and love to quote and so on and so on has been replaced by the kingdom of God and is being replaced by the kingdom of God. But at the same time, not one tittle of the law has failed. And finally, just to prove his point, he points to the law of marriage, which, is, which the Pharisees had made a mockery of. Uh, they were, there were two schools of thoughts when it came to the Pharisees and marriage and divorce. Uh, one school said that you could divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever. If she didn't, she, she no longer looked good, she was no longer pretty, you can divorce her. Others were saying that if she uh, burned the food, you can get rid of her. The problem here with marriage, and I hear some wives laughing, thank God that that's not the case. But the problem here with marriage and divorce is based on their misinterpretation of the Old Testament passage on marriage, Deuteronomy 24. Listen to what it says. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she find, he finds no favor in his, in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand, and send her out of his house, when she has departed from his house and goes and become another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her in as his wife, then a former husband who divorced her must not take her back in to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the, hand, on the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit. Now, the Pharisees, they were divided over the interpretation of this. Among the Pharisees, as I say, there were two schools of thought, maybe more, but both parties appealed to Deuteronomy 24 on the basis of this phrase. If she finds no, if he finds, she finds no favor in his eyes, you're justified to divorce her. Now, how does this fit into our text? The real problem was that Jesus was getting at with, in this statement with the Pharisees at an eardrop away was greed. See, the marriage came with a dowry, a sum of money. And the man would receive this when he married a woman. And if he was greedy, he would divorce her for any reason to keep the dowry, which is what he wanted in the first place. And in some cases, 
he would attempt to get her back so he could get the diary. Or he would keep the diary if he divorced her. So Jesus was giving them what my grandparent would say, a backhand slap. He was talking to his disciples and saying, don't let your possessions possess you. The Pharisees were angry at that. And you know how some people today just kind of throw that off and say, well, you know, God must be blessing me because I'm making a lot of money. And, you know, I can give a little bit to each point if, if the Lord blessed me even more. And then if I hit that lottery there, I'm really going to take care of Pastor Carter and David. Greed. So Jesus is dealing with them on this issue of greed. It seemed to be out of place. This last verse here in particular, but it hit the Pharisees right between the eyes. Greed. That's why the passage started, that they were lovers of money. Jesus says that the law still stands in the kingdom of God, that marriage is honorable in the sight of the Lord. It is until death. Say amen. There is only one exception given for divorce, and even that is because of the hardness of our hearts. We, like the Pharisees, have adjusted the law of God to fit our own way of life. Now, you've got to say amen to that. But the law has not changed. Jesus still upholds the original plan of God when it comes to marriage. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes have even a greater issue with Jesus because of their love for money. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. The Apostle Paul said this to his son in the ministry in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kind of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith, and in their generation, their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How do we conclude a passage like this that you weren't prepared for? Well, the law and the prophets are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are all guilty of breaking the law, amen? But the only way we can enter into his kingdom that has come and that is still coming is to trust him with our whole lives. His life, his death, his resurrection, his promise to come again is what we believe in and it's what we trust. Amen? Let us pray.